Hey everyone, this is KJ. I just wanted to let you know before our episode got started that I made an oopsie and uh, forgot to tell Nathan to record the audio tracks separately out of Zoom. And so our audio is just a little bit different, um, but you know, such as making a podcast in 2020 in the midst of a pandemic is sometimes you don't get it perfectly. What am I saying? Anyways... This is already longer than I wanted it to be. I just want to let you know the audio is going to be a little bit different. Uh, so sorry about that. And we'll make sure that we get it cleared up as much as we can in later episodes. Okay, on with the show. Sweet. Metronome, All right. Metronome, Zoom. Metronome. Sync. Metronome. Check. Check. Patrick. You want to clap again? Patrick. Nathan. I'm an oyster. <laughs> You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Uh... What is up, everyone? Welcome to episode 13, the big ol' 1-3 of the John Chi Show. This is ya boy at KJ Relke, uh, with my two co-hosts, Nathan and Patrick. Hello. Hello. Um, <laughs> and we are very excited. Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Clarice. <laughs> Hello. We're excited to, to be back. Uh, this is the second episode during National Adoption Awareness Month, or National Adoption Month, or, you know, whatever Adoptee version Awareness of, Month. Yeah, however you want to call that. We're choosing to reclaim this month for ourselves as a National Adoptee Month, um, because most of the stories around adoption are from the how did you put it patrick the the baby perspective the infantile perspective the- yeah so actually this i really appreciate you kicking that over to me real quick because i do have one correction to make from the previous episode i was talking about the author of adopted territory a book i've been reading and throughout the week someone had listened to the episode uh shout out to sarah park dolan and had let me know that i pronounced the author's name incorrectly her name is alina j kim not elena alina so i do apologize mrs kim um for saying your name incorrectly and i hope that <laughs> if I you hear this book, so <laughs> yeah you. i hope that if you hear this two of us have the book and i love it it is literally changing my life um so the way that she puts it uh for a lot of adoptees, like especially the ones that first came over or were first adopted uh, late 50s, early 60s, those narratives were being written not by the adoptees themselves, but by the adoptive parents, the people that worked at the agencies, um, the people, the Korean government, uh, just people that were not the adoptees. So what we're seeing, what we see a lot in the late 80s and early 90s is a taking back of that by those adoptees who are now adults. And that's what we're seeing now again, you know, what we do with this show and what you see on a lot of other podcasts and what our guests will talk about and what we'll talk about a little bit later um, has done with her Facebook group, but a reclaiming of that narrative and uh, shifting that perspective from a non-adoptive person telling an adoptee story to adoptees telling those stories. That's it. Sorry, I... (laughs) 
made the mistake of trying to get onto Instagram while you were talking, and then I was just looking because if you so we used the hashtag National Adoption Month on one of our posts recently, and if you just tap on that, then it's a lot of pictures of uh, babies and like young kids, and some of it's transracial, uh, some of it is not, um, but there's not a lot of people our age or older talking about you know being adopted, and I think it's interesting too. Like that that feels like an a. a thing that as you grow older you kind of leave behind um until you pick it back up again like the three of us had so uh yeah i'm excited to to hear more people taking back the narrative and adding their own voices be like hey this is what adoption looks like 20 years later or 30 years later or 40 years later yeah i haven't gone on facebook and typed in that hashtag just to see how many people are are um posting about it because as we know there's you know what 200,000 Korean adoptees, but then there's over a million of other adoptees from other countries and, and domestically. And it's, it, there's a lot of adoption and a lot of foster care and stuff. And so this is, this is their month. Um, so there's probably a lot of people who are hashtagging that and talking about it, but then there's probably a lot that aren't. And a lot of people probably don't even know that some people are adopted um, or even things like, um, I mean, just, you know, interfamily adoption and stuff like that. So there, there's, uh, I'd be interested to see what uh, people are talking about right now. I talked about it today. I actually, well, today when we're recording this, not today when this is coming live to you, <laughs> but I think that's something, especially that I've been learning a lot uh, on this journey, and especially as this being, you know, National Adoptee Awareness Month um, and seeing all of the stories and all of these accounts that I've been following start to share a little bit more personal things and advice and stuff like that, I thought to myself that this is a good point for me to kind of expand my journey a little bit in terms of sharing. So I have, as you guys, we've talked, I've told you, but I've got my adoption documents and like my baby book and stuff. And I've been looking at that and going over those things. And I've been wanting to post a little bit for a while uh, and share a little bit of that. And today I, I was like, I woke up this morning and I thought, you know, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to share some of this. So I posted a couple of my baby pictures and just talked about, you know, this is where this is me when I was born. This was taken where I was born at um, after my and I was and it had my career or my Korean name, which was given to me by the either the wet nurse or the social worker that was there after I'd either been abandoned or left by my parents at this place. And talking about how, yes, I did end up in a really great situation, but that doesn't discount or dismiss any trauma or anything that I went through or had to have de dealt with that I am now learning has come from this uh, adoptive situation. And so, and it's not to be like to bring it down or to be talking down about adoption or anything like that. It's more of a me understanding that you know, to dismiss that type of, of story and to dismiss, you know, that this narrative is not our narrative to tell is to dismiss our voice in, in that way. And I think that, you know, especially with this month and the hashtags and everything that people are talking about, I think there are a lot of people talking about it and both good and bad ways. And again, that's some, I think a great thing about our guests is that we talk about that, the duality on both sides of, of the adoption spectrum, you know, and what people talk about. Uh, in regards to that. So 
Um, yeah, maybe not even duality, but plurality. Oh, it's plurality, not like yeah, either yeah. or. It's all of it, you right? Know? Yeah, um, yeah, and and I love that uh, that we get into that with our guest Jenna Lee, who is the creator and admin and moderator of the Facebook group slash page Adoption Love colon the very good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and you know, we were as we were talking to her, I think she briefly mentions about going back to Korea, and I we realized. Just moments before pressing record on this intro, the Patrick had never been back to Korea, um, which I don't know why that feels like a big revelation to me. Well, actually, the revelation is that he was nervous to go back to Korea, um, which <laughs> for me, like, I think just because I love Korea um, and have just been infatuated with it uh, for as long as I can think about having emotions, um, that's just a really foreign concept to me. So, Patrick, I'm curious, why were you scared about going back? Yeah, I think that the fear or the hesitancy to go back was really due to the part or due in part to the fact that I really just wanted to fit in with my white town and my white friends. And they're not going back to Korea. They don't want to know about, you know, <laughs> well, they they're, not, be going to Korea. they're not having the conversation <laughs> about, you know, like, why do I look different or any any of that stuff, you know, and then. I don't ever feel like there was a moment where I had been thinking about going, but I think that there was a moment where it just passed me by where this was a decision that I was not going to make anytime soon about going. I think my parents, our adoptive parents, or my parents are really good about talking to us about, you know, we want to go with you and and we, we think you should go at some point. And for a long time, I was like, I'm good with who I am. This is who I am. And I'm not going, I don't need to explore that to be myself. And now I'm at a point where, I do want to explore that to be part of myself. And, yeah. and now I'm like, and now I want to go. It's, it's, it's like, I think about those times and I, I think of it as very selfish of me to be afraid. And I know that's not the case, but I do feel like I've, I've had experiences where I come into contact with other Asian people or Koreans or the culture. And I would run away from that. And I do feel very ashamed that I felt that way. And that's the same way I feel about, or I had felt about for a long time going to Korea. You know, we talk about adoptees going over there, sticking out, and then not being readily accepted by the rest of that culture, you know, that that scared me. And that does it, it is make me a little bit nervous about going now, but I'm a lot more open to the to the fact of making that journey. You're probably more because you're older, you're more comfortable with yourself. You're more comfortable with not really, a, I think, doing it, to, you know, for anyone else. You're right. doing it for yourself. You're not worried if the other people think, oh, why are you here or things like that? So, um, I mean, I I love to travel. I've traveled since I was, you know, every year, pretty much my parents would take us on trips. And so I've traveled internationally since I was, you know, little, and I've always loved to travel. So it's really funny that, you know, as even though you're saying you haven't been there lately, uh, my first time was three years ago. So right. I was 41. So for the first time of me going to Korea was well, you know, past where you'll be going probably someday. Uh, and, and, you know, far past when KJ went, you were there at 16. So, um, they're like, I think 13, 13. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah, had I mean, a lot of trouble trying to figure that out in Brandon's episode. Yeah. Right. yeah <laughs> I still haven't nailed it down. I connected with someone in a, a Holt adoptee group who was like, Hey, I think I was on that same trip with you too. And I was like, when, when was it? Cause neither of us know. <laughs> so she was like, I think it was like 2007 or something. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, but I really Time is weird. sad. I didn't go sooner. So yeah. I, I'm happy that you guys have been, I wish I had gone earlier, but it's funny because people would ask me, Hey, why, why don't you want to go to Korea? Or is like, cause, cause I want to go to all these other places first. Like I've been to Japan, I've been to Thailand, Philip, you know, um, 
not Philippines, uh, you know, Europe, many places in Europe and all these things that I've done have never included Korea, which, you know, you'd think that would be one of the first places I would want to go to. And, and I think that's what other people assume as well. It's like, why didn't you want to go? But um, yeah, so I'm happy that I went for sure. Did you have any nerves before you went? I mean, I know that I'm, I'm assuming that you went like to go and meet up with your family, right? But like, uh, beyond meeting your family, were you nervous about going to Korea at all? Uh, sure. I mean, the the number one thing I think most people will have a hesitation towards is the language barrier. Um, I think that's with any foreign country. Most people are like, oh, I, how am I going to communicate? Even though you know there are a portion of people that speak English and there's signs that are in English and stuff. But it, it still, it is sometimes um, difficult. It can feel like a big wall, go. yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, I been to Europe and same thing. I mean, this is Europe and I'm walking around lost somewhere. So, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be in Asia where the, you know, even the letters don't look the same. It's, it's anywhere. But, uh, so that was my main hesitation was getting around and getting lost. Um, but I, I knew that, uh, for the trip that I went on, I was going to be pretty much chaperoned the entire time by my family. So I wasn't concerned about that um, portion of it, but, uh, I would have, if I was in my earlier days, but because you knew, like you were, like you said, you're going to have like your family there to show you around and take you to places and translate. I'm assuming for you, what kind of prep? I don't know if we talked about this on your episode. I don't think we did. But what kind of prep did you do prior to going um, to Korea? Like, did you did you look up any resources? Like, what should I do? Yeah, how many Make Wikipedia articles or, did you read? Yeah, how many, how many <laughs> Wikipedia none. hours did you put in? <laughs> the the it's funny. The communication between my brother and I during that planning portion is i didn't even know if i was staying in a hotel i didn't know if i was staying <laughs> in their houses i didn't know what cities i was going to be staying in i and i was a little scared about that um yeah and on top of that my friend came with me and i i, I warned mm. him i was like hey, oh. i don't have any clue where <laughs> we're going to be staying we could be sleeping on the floors which honestly actually we did uh, but that's what they do that's uh, right yeah yeah but I mean, I just didn't know. And so I, I was warning him, don't come if you don't want all these surprises. kind of thing. But, um, you know, uh, it, it all worked out and they did have everything planned. There was some confusion. Again, we're translating through a phone. And so I'm like, where are we going? They're like, we're going to a pension because the tr Google Translate kept saying pension. Oh, OK. And I'm like, pension. I'm like, <laughs> What am I going to do? A money? retirement am plan? Am I putting? Yeah, a retirement <laughs> plan. plan? And, and I didn't know what the word meant. And it's not just in in South Korea. It's actually that that term is actually used in other countries of the world too for essentially like a Airbnb type place with a hmm. breakfast and and stuff. Weird. Uh, and, Interesting. Yeah, but I didn't know that until that trip. So I was so confused. I kept thinking Google Translate was wrong. Uh, <laughs> so. This can't huh. be right. All right. The more you know. Yeah. So now uh, well, I learned. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, Patrick, when you go back to Korea, it'll be the Janchi boys take Korea and we'll just go with you and then uh, go do our own things and also maybe record an episode. That'd actually be incredible. That'd, That'd be, be great. We just went and, uh, and explored around. So, because I, I want to go back. Like I said, you know, I was so young when I went that I like, I got the highlights of things, but I, I just would go back in different lenses now. And I, I have that same trepidation, I think, that you feel, Patrick, just about like all Korean culture mm -hmm. stuff, but specifically like in America with my white friends and even to some extent with my wife, like I feel like responsible to be able to explain things, you know, right. about the culture. Like, you know, like on my episode when we were talking about drinking soju, I didn't know any of kind of the greater cultural context about that. 
Um, so to, I, w- I would feel responsible to do that. And so going to Korea, I'd be, I think because of this podcast and just the journeys that I've been on, um, I feel more comfortable sticking out as a adoptee and accepting that as maybe a deeper culture than Korean or American, you know? And I think, uh, it was Minju who was like, oh, you know, I felt very Western in the Philippines, but then when I got to America, I realized I was very Eastern. You know, I think I'm more okay with feeling very American in Korea and feeling not quite American in America now because I'm adopted and that's what being a third culture kid means. And the other hesitations I, I did have also was the food. I, luckily, I'd had some uh, exposure to the food here, but I didn't know what my family was going to feed me while I was yeah. there. And, and you I didn't thinking, know how you were going to feel about rice. You're like, I've never ex- had rice before. <laughs> <laughs> what is this strange stuff? This is but, sticky white substance. <laughs> yeah, and but I, I went with the, uh, the pre-notion that I was going to try everything and anything that they gave me. And just to be not only polite, but also to be open-minded. And uh, I did. I tried everything that they gave me. Some I liked and some I, I definitely didn't like. But um, but uh, the stuff I liked, I wrote down. And, you know, I would love to find things like that here. So, uh, How um, much shellfish extract did you eat? <laughs> did you consume? Oyster shells. Or oyster, oyster shells. Shell. Yeah. Lots of oyster shells. <laughs> I, I sprinkled it on everything I ate. <laughs> my little bottles of it. Just... Oyster shell is the table salt of Korea. <laughs> We're going to have somebody say, oyster shell is not the table salt. It's this. <laughs> exactly. Well, according to Wikipedia, to the article that I wrote. <laughs> yeah, please don't look at the uh, edits or updates log of this Wikipedia page. Yeah, but have you any plans, Kate, uh, Patrick? That uh, when you would want to go, or if it's on your plate, even in the next five years? Yeah, so it's funny. Um, well, I guess it's not really funny. I don't know why I said that, but uh, we had been talking about my sister and I had started to formulate <laughs> a plan. <laughs> Sorry, I was just trying to. I was. I tried to gauge where it got funny. So I just that was in. it. That was it. That was the threat. That was the story. You formulated we started a the plan. plan. We had started to potentially plan for both us and then our respective, or her husband and my fiance, and then our parents to go back here within three, or to go within three years. And then the pandemic happened, and now I don't know. Those plans have been put on hold. Mm -hmm. She's already been once, um, which I think we did talk about. about. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. I was like, I think we talked about that. Um, so just did an entire episode about it. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> We're, we'll talk it's about it. Broken like a true stuff. brother. <laughs> yeah. That's but filial it, piety. It, we have a little bit of a we 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 have some groundwork laid, I guess. So hopefully, you know, we cool. can make that happen soon. Yeah, that'd be great. I definitely want to go back too. So, well, you guys can come. Yeah, you're invited. Yeah, just you guys um, though, not your wives or your kids, Nathan. Sorry, but it Nathan's is kids. adoption of yeah. <laughs> Actually, just your kids can come with me. Oh, yeah. We'll take them off with Kelvin for a couple weeks. Uh, Yeah. You let me know how that plane ride goes. All right. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, we have a fantastic interview lined up for today. So (laughs) let's dive in. This is Jenna Lee. Like I said, the creator, admin, moderator of the Facebook page and and Facebook group, Adoption Love, colon, the very good, the bad, the ugly. Here it is. That's that's not how our music goes. (laughs) It goes like this. All right. 
We are here today with Jenna Lee. Jenna, thank you for joining the John Chi Show today. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, it's really exciting to be here for episode 14. Are we on episode 14? <laughs> I've kind of forgotten. I've kind of forgotten. It's almost like they all run 13. together. 13. 13. All right, we're 13. on episode 13, the luckiest Lucky number, number in the world. Um, <laughs> we're recording this on a very nice and sunny day where I am. Uh, I think it's pretty sunny where everyone else is. I think we're getting a little rainy, rain California. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Jenna, thank you again for coming and, and giving us the opportunity to, to speak with you today. Um, we start all of our interviews off the same way. We want to know a little bit about your background and your adoption story and to kind of get a little of that for our audience. So I was adopted in 1974. I was about five years old and I arrived to uh, Minnesota. And um, people ask me what I remember of that actual day. And most of it I've just blocked out. And um, it was a wonderful arrival day, but also just being a little girl, the, being terrified. And if you see any of the pictures I post, I look extremely sad and confused. So I arrived in um, Minnesota, and I've been here ever since. And um, I went to the U of M, and I graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree. And at the U of M, I met my husband, who is a refugee from Vietnam. And he arrived here from Vietnam um, about the same year. Uh, we've been married for over 27 years. Wow, congrats. Cool. Great. Yeah, it goes by fast. <laughs> <laughs> and you have kids? Yes. Um, I have a son that graduated from college about a year and a half ago in a business finance degree. And then I have a daughter that's got a couple of years left of college. So as we've learned from some of our guests, you know, Minnesota is considered the land of 10,000 adoptees. Because um, we have that's a, a very big center point uh, for a lot of ad Korean adoptees specifically. Um Growing up there, what was after being adopted? And like you said, you know, didn't felt a little bit sad even at even at that young age. You could feel a little bit of that. What was it like growing up in that community? And you know, how did you first start to connect with the adoptee community or with other people of color just in that area? Well, it's interesting that you brought that um, up. I actually um, am kind of new to the Korean community, mm. the Korean adoption community. Um, Within the last couple of years, I got involved with it. But before that, I was on a Facebook group that actually catered to more of Korean adoptee and parents. And um, my husband had encouraged me to start my own group. And so with 34 members, I started the Adoption Love, um, the very good, bad, and ugly of adoption. Because as we all know, adoption isn't just all rainbows and unicorns mm -hmm. and I wanted a group that helped everyone be in their journey and have a space for them when did you start it um I started that group about a little over 10 months ago oh okay so approaching that first year yeah and like you guys you felt a call to action and mm -hmm. I, that's what I really like about your 
podcast because you're giving a, a place for everyone to share their stories and to share that adoption isn't just all um, happy endings. Right. And that's something, you know, I think that we're all learning a little bit, especially like you said, you know, some of our guests are speaking about how adopt the, the uglier sides of adoption and things like that, where us three specifically have come into or came to very, you know, positive situations. And, and we had a lot of positive reinforcement growing up um, and coming to terms with that on our end of just the other sides or the other things that happen in the adoptee community, you know, that a lot of people are go unawares of as they go through life. Um, so you said you started Adoption Life with 34 members. Was that a group that you had kind of built together on the other groups or who, who were those first founding members of that group with you? Well, they were my friends. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's how all good things start. Yeah, no, there was actually a few parents that had adopted Korean adoptees and um, they followed me into the group. And then it's it's grown from there. Uh, we've had a couple ups and downs, but overall, it's been an extremely amazing um, way to meet other Korean adoptees. And then from there, I was added on to a couple more Korean adoptee groups. So, Jenna, I'm wondering... You said, like, like KJ said, and as you said, you know, you've you started your own group about 10 months ago. And before that, it had been, you know, about a year or so that you had really came into this community and you're new to this community as we are. Um, I'm wondering what was maybe either the moment or what were you feeling at the time that made you want to take that first step back, either back into the community or first into the community around that time um, when you were getting onto those groups? My kids have grown up and um, I actually had a few years where they were teenagers and teenager years are quite difficult. <laughs> really? And I have <laughs> not never heard that before. at all. <laughs> no. Well, you know, the interesting is I've kind of been like a 40 year old since I was 11 years old. I just, I never uh, went yes, out of line. Sure. Yeah. And um, my parents are very religious. Uh, they're upstanding um, very incredible uh, people in my life. Um, even though I have the highs and lows with my parents, um, the way I behaved towards them was always of respect, and I never did anything out of line. But I, I can tell you that my children did not do that with me in their <laughs> teenage years. Um, <laughs> But I, I had a mom who had already gone through the teenage years that really had a tough time of it. And her being there for me and giving me suggestions and being there supportive just really made an impact on me. And I always feel like um, if we can give back, then we should. And so I was like, well, you know, I know a lot about helping out other people and um, and I wanted to give it a go. And with the encouragement of my husband, um, that's why I started the group. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, going back further, um, so you said, you know, you came over to America, you were speaking Korean and then by age 11, you just kind of dropped that. I'm, I'm wondering, um, was there like a moment or, you know, a, a period in your life where you were like, I don't want to think about being Korean or has being Korean always been a strong identity for you? Um, and 
I'll start there. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask a follow-up question, but I was like, well, you should probably answer the first question first. <laughs> so. It's interesting is um, my husband has caught me filling out forms and I um, marked that I was white. And he mm. thought I was insane. He's just like, honey, you're not white. You're Asian. I'm like, no, I'm white. Yeah. And so... Now I fill out that I'm tan. <laughs> this other tan. <laughs> yeah. But I really identified as a white person yeah. um, until I I started dating my husband. Then I realized, because I started dating my husband very young when I was 18. Mm. And in fact, um, being all white and having, thinking that I was white, it, it kind of brought a little stress in our dating world. And um, I can remember us going out to eat pho, which I did not like. And my husband's like, well, you got to learn to eat this, you know. This is, <laughs> is going to work. You're going to have to learn to like and it. Course, you know, years later, he now says, of course, I still would have dated you if you didn't like to eat pho. <laughs> no, you put me through all that for nothing. Yeah. But, but I did struggle with all aspects of my identity. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be Korean for a while. I mean, if you look at pictures of me in the late 80s, when I was in my teens, um, I had the curly five-inch bangs. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> the aquanet that you use and um, blue makeup, blue eyeshadow. And with, with only being the only... But one percent at our church of being Asian, um, I just really wanted to be white and conform. And I think as a teenager, preteen, those were the really dark and struggling years for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted nothing to do with um, being Korean. Yeah, I uh, I completely relate with that story or your story there and you know those feelings of wanting to be this the majority i guess and conform like like you said i remember specifically thinking those exact thoughts you know i'm trying to be a white person or and i was going to use the example of you know when i was in my teen years that's when i was like growing my hair out like all the other kids were doing but then i was like i think guys when they're teens in any culture just grow their hair long so I don't know if that relates, <laughs> but uh, definitely just trying to make myself to absolutely and completely deny myself the ability to want to be Korean or want to be anything other. And we came over at different periods. You know, you came when you were five. I was a six month old or three month old kid uh, or baby. So even I had even less connection of that or, or to that. Uh, our mother culture than you did and you know I completely understand and I think it's really relatable when you relate that experience because I completely just fall in line with that exact style of thinking and it's really tough like you said when you're the one percent of the Asian population in like your church or your town you know it's like it's you don't even have the opportunity to try and relate with someone else so I just wanted to say that I appreciate you sharing that because I do like you saying that it's like that came right out of my my book. So, um, yeah, I didn't really have a question. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I just wanted to add to that. My parents also that's when um, the num the num refugees came to this country, and my parents um, sponsored a few families from Vietnam. 
And so it was really difficult because people thought I was one of the refugees that my parents were sponsoring and they didn't understand that I was their daughter. To this day, when I go to their church, they think that I'm one of the, the refugees that they sponsored. So I wanted to be so inclusive of the three white people that um, were my family. And it, it, it was, I can't stress enough how that was on me, um, how I felt. And um, I actually felt the jealousy that my brother was my parents' bio-related child. And I was somebody that they had adopted at five years old. Um, I think a lot of Korean adoptees that are older can um, relate to that. Or I, I shouldn't speak for other Korean adoptees, but um, I personally really struggled with being part of the other three. And even though I feel like my parents are my parents and my brother's my brother, and they did everything in their powers to make me part of their family. And I, I do feel like they're my parents. I always have my whole, my whole life have, have struggled um, with being adopted. Yeah. I think that's the, the great lie of assimilation. And when I was younger, we would talk about if we would talk about racism or black people or uh, Latinx people, um, you know, then we would talk about like, oh, well, if they could just be more like us, then it would probably be okay. Right. And and I think that on some level, I internalized that because I was always trying to be like my family. And I, because I was like, well, this is who I have. And so this is who I want to be. Uh, <laughs> filial piety apparently just runs <laughs> through my genes. Um, and so, so yeah. And then, then like here I am now at, at 27 and I'm realizing like the great, live assimilation is like if you can make yourself more white quote unquote then your life will be easier but actually that really takes away from your identity and celebrates like parts who are intrinsically who you are and so then you you just spend your life trying to at least i feel like i spent a lot a large part of my life trying to deny who i was so that i could just be more white and things could be a little bit easier um so yeah i i super super understand where you're coming from with that. I'm curious too. Um, so you, you left your Korean identity, uh, you know, behind, um, you were thinking about assimilation, trying to fit in, wishing you were white. Uh, and then you, you said when you started dating your now husband, that that st started to, to change some things in your mind about how you thought about yourself. But what was the moment that you were like, Oh, I, I really want to find other, Korean adoptees like me? Well, I had that a little bit when I went to college. So I had, mm. I only lived with my parents till I was 18. And um, I went to the U of M and I actually lived with a family that um, they, the husband had graduated from Harvard College and the wife had graduated from Wellesley. And so they're very educated, but they're very open to, um, explaining the world to me and they had realized I was a little bit sheltered and um, they encouraged me to join different groups at the school mm -hmm. and just broaden my experience 
And when I did try to join the Korean groups at the U of um, I had both the good and the bad experience. And the good was um, a couple people that I met that were actually here from Korea um, were kind, and then some that were not very kind at all. And actually, the unkind experience kind of turned me off, and um, I stopped with kind of trying to blend in with the Koreans. And then um, when I was dating my husband, looking back now, um, I kind of really stayed uh, as a white person because Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. who I think of myself to this day. And I know that's, I know that's, I'm I'm actually accepting, of course, more and more that I'm Korean adapted and I'm proud of it. Um, But, but if if, if you think about it, I, I grew up in a very all white family and I didn't have, I can't remember any exposure to a Korean family. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be a Korean adapted, but yet I'm proud of it. So would you say that, um, being part of those groups at the U of M and, uh, hanging with that host family, that that was, uh, gave you a lot of momentum and kind of shifting your thinking about, uh, being a, a CAD? I think it's mostly from my husband who really pushed me to accept my identity and to be really, he's extremely supportive. And um, I wanted to throw in that I did meet my birth parents in 1993, my birth or bio parents. And it was an extremely painful and um, really um, an awful experience. And I think after that, I really didn't want anything to do with Koreans for a while. So um, when I met my birth bio parents, I, I, I really dreamt that I would get some questions answered and that they wanted a relationship with me and that um, I'd, I'd get a lot of questions answered of why I was left on the streets of Korea. And um it turned out where they actually wanted citizenship to um, uh, America and they wanted a large sum of money, which was just really devastating because I didn't understand why they wanted that because they're strangers to me. And um, I, I didn't have it. Um, I, I didn't have the money they wanted and I didn't have the ability for them to come to this country. I was young 20s and um, I was actually kind of in shock. And after that, I, I, I didn't want anything to do with Korean adoptees for a while from that experience of meeting my birth parents. Yeah, I completely understand why you wouldn't want to you know, pursue that. That's a really terrible situation and I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Um, you know, I think we, as we talked about, you know, a little bit at the top of the show, we can, the community as a whole can, or we can see a lot of this positive image, you know, of adoption or of reunion specifically. Um, but there are not so great ones out there. And there's people that either it doesn't work out for them, or it's just not the right time at that time or never the right time. And they get maybe forced into it by outside factors. And that can cause the experience to not be great. 
And, you know, I think that I really appreciate you sharing that with us and our audience because, you know, that's not something that we've shared a whole lot of at the moment um, up to this point. And I do think that, and I, I for one, really appreciate, you know, you sharing that. Um, and then off of that, I think that it's really, I think it's really amazing and shows a lot of, it, it does show resiliency on you specifically for having gone through that experience and now still at even some point in the future, coming back to the community and opening your arms up and your heart up and your mind up to the community a little bit more. So I really want to commend you for for taking that step, even at any point past that experience, because I, for one, feel like I would really struggle with wanting to come back to it. Um, what was, if you can, if you know specifically, if there's anything in your mind, what, I'm assuming it was with support of your husband, what was that first step back to the community now? I mean, I think we may have talked about a little bit, you know, with forming the group, but I'm just like now having a little bit more of that backstory. What was some of the thinking or the moments around that time to come back? Well, to be, to be honest, um, Facebook sometimes can get very ugly fast. And I really didn't have the skills um, in the beginning to cope with some of the really cruel comments that people would post in private groups and being in that private group that had grown from a few hundred to a couple thousand, some anti-adoptees got on there and personally attacked me for being pro-adoption. Um, but I also, I also understand where they're coming from. They had a terrible adoption experience and anyone that's pro-adoption, they're gonna attack. And I just didn't have the skills for that group and it was such a large group. And it was it was to a point where I didn't even want to be helping in that group. So I, my, like I said, with the help of my husband and his encouragement, he's just like, why don't you just do your own group? That way you can set your own rules and um, focus on what you want to contribute. And I want to contribute um, where... It's a place where people feel comfortable to share if they're a parent, if they, if they have questions, um, or a resource place for uh, parents to reach out to Korean adoptees where they can get to know um, other Korean adoptees. And there's been friendships that have been developed. And so it, it's been great having my own group and the help with um, some admins on there. It's been awesome. Um, I've been able to meet some really amazing Korean adoptees. Um, but it's also a place for people to talk about their struggles, um, but with getting the support of other people, um, whatever whatever support that they need. Yeah, it's great. One thing that I, I was going to mention that I can relate to, it's great to have a supportive spouse like, like you do. Uh, I, I have also... Uh, been in that realm of having a, a kind of less knowledge of most Asian cultures, I would say, grow, growing up and then in college and then moving out here, you know, I, in California, there's a lot more Asian. So I started getting immersed into that, that culture. And uh, when I met my wife, uh, she was so surprised, I think that I was in still this discovery phase of, of more about my, uh, my history and about even any Asian culture. She's half Chinese, half Japanese. And so, but the things that, you know, I would say, she's like, wow, that, that sounds, you know, so white or, or the things I would do. <laughs> and, and it was just funny because, you know, you're seeing me physically 
Asian, but yet the things I did were, or, or like, you know, traits, you know, a white person would do, or even the things I'd say. So it's been great because she did the same thing. She like, I would say that I never really liked pho until meeting my wife and we would go frequently because she loved it. And the more we would go out to pho, the more I actually started liking it. But, um, you know, it was, she introduced me to a lot of, of, of things, uh, you know, Japanese culture. Um, and I think a lot of the culture that I learned from her inspired me a little bit to also start doing more into the Korean adoption, um, or just Korean culture in general. So, um, you know, that's, that's great that you have your, your husband to do that. So I, I totally relate to that. I also want to say that my parents did a really good job of trying to get me to go to, um, Korean lessons and, and they really encouraged to always learn and to be accepting. And um, I commend them for trying to get me to go to Korean lessons once a month or whatever it was back then. But when you're 11, 12, 13, you just so want to fit in and no one else is taking uh, Korean lessons. And so um, I, I do really commend my parents for doing that. I know you're one of the photos that you uh, want to use for your profile that we're going to be putting up uh, for our banner is one with you and your brother. Is this a uh, photo uh, very important to you? Uh, what, uh, why is this the photo that you chose? When I first got here from Korea in uh, 1974, my parents, um, we took a trip to um, Washington, D.C. And I kind of remember the trip a little bit here and there. Um, I, I couldn't speak the language, of course. I couldn't speak English, but um, I, I kind of remember going there a little bit. And um, I really, really um, love my brother. And he is just an amazing, amazing um, man. And he's just has really encouraged, he's just has really encouraged me to be me and um yeah, I, I just really like that photo. Great. Yeah, it's a nice photo. I think the through line of this conversation with you, Jenna, and I, I really love it, is the is support. I think if we'd hashtag this, it would be support. And we know supportive spouse, supportive adoptive parents, supportive brother, you know, I, a lot of support. And I, I say that because when we talk about adoption love and or and or adoption life and then um we talk about and then i i'm on there and i'm on facebook and i see how active you are in these other groups in your own group and how supportive you are of everyone else you know i don't feel i feel like anybody that posts anything or anybody that that puts up something that promoting you're on there you're commenting you've taken in this content and you're showing them the support that you've received throughout your life in the in the pivotal moments that you need. And I think that's one of the great things about your group because it does allow people to come into this space, a safe space, like you said, and experience these pivotal moments and have someone to support them as opposed to maybe not having anything or having someone to bring them down a little bit. And that's one of the things I really, really, really love about it. Um, what other ways are you, do you want to, or how do you want to take that support and engage with the community in other ways, have you thought about your future with adoption life and and the other things that you want to do? Um, I'm curious as to where this journey now will take you. 
Well, I've, I've become really good friends with another Korean adaptee, and I feel like we're sisters. And she has big visions uh, for the community, for giving back also. So I've, I'm going to be kind of helping her and her visions. Um, but thank you for saying that, that I do, I really do believe in um, trying to be as supportive of whatever journey somebody's on. Um, I, I do want to go back and I just wanted to also talk about when I went to the U of M, I actually, I'm a terrible, I'm terrible at spelling and grammar, but I corrected people's papers that were from <laughs> Korea, some people to help them out. And um, one of them I became really close friends with. And she actually is the one, the, the one that I helped correct her papers. Um, I actually went to Korea and was a guest at their house for a month. And so I've gotten a lot of help in my life from different people. Um, it's whether I'm giving first and then they, they see that and they see the need and they give back. Um, I, I think what goes around comes around. And um, whenever I do anything, I, I do it with intent of just being supportive. And um, if that helps them, then that's great. I have loved um, what you said just about support and, and your story. And uh, it reminds me of one of our previous guests uh, who said, you know, from her perspective, she felt like the Korean adoptee community just needed, uh, I think she said, a revolving door of compassion, right? Um, and, and so I, I've, I've loved just being able to, to listen to your story and hear that. And, and I love, too, that you brought up, uh, even though it was uh, a, a harsh personal experience, um, the anti-adoption uh, adoptees out there. And, you know, when this episode drops, we'll be in, uh, the second week of November, which is uh, national adoption awareness month. And one of the things that for us on the show, we've been thinking about is how do we reclaim our own narrative and how do we tell our own stories about adoption? Because if you look at the hashtags, it's about, uh, families who are adopting and, and all those things, but it's not really, you don't hear a lot from adoptee experiences in that. Um, you know, if you just follow hashtag and see, see the content there. Um, so I, I just love that, you know, if, if somebody's listening to this and is just kind of thinking about adoption or knows adoptees, just to, to know that there are people who are pro adoption and anti adoption, that's not even something that I was aware of until I really started in this journey a couple months ago. And I was like, Oh, uh, this is, this is a weird thing, you know? And so I've had to do my own wrestling with adoption and things like that. And, um, so yeah. And I love too, that you, built your own group because you were like, you know what, this group is good, but also I need something different and that you weren't afraid to, uh, to build that safe space for yourself and to welcome others in. Um, I think I had a question, but I lost it. So <laughs> thanks for what you're doing. Cause, uh, we really appreciate it. And, um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, yep. No, no further questions. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just plug the name of the group? It's yeah, absolutely. Love. Oh, it is love. I don't know. Dang it. I'm so well, sorry. Adoption <laughs> love the, the very good, bad and ugly of adoption yeah and that's the there's the facebook group uh, specifically is there any other location that people could find you also or anything it's also a page the same name with the page and a shout out to lauren for all her help on social media she is amazing thank you lauren <laughs> <laughs> thank you lauren so yeah. adoption love the very good bad and ugly of adoption mm -hmm. So before we dive into our snacks, I wanted to ask you one final question um, to kind of tie all of this together. 
And that is as being in a similar group as us and a similar state of journey where you're for you specifically, you're coming back into the community and, and you're really getting more involved. What is, if you had to think of, of something off the top of your head, what would be one piece of advice that you would give people like us who are coming into this community for the first time or taking their first steps into this journey? What would you tell them about what they're about to get into? What would be something that you would, would recommend to them or just, just would want to relay? To, to someone like that. You ask the question again. I had yeah, absolutely. Then... That's okay. I always ask big questions in inopportune times. So uh... I forget half of what Patrick says anyway also, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Thanks, I don't know. Just take baby steps into it and watch uh, uh, watch videos and get yourself involved with some green adoption groups. That would be my advice. I think baby steps is really yeah. great and really difficult because I feel <laughs> like uh, well, especially watching Patrick go through this journey, but then like for me re-entering this journey, we went from taking baby steps to like taking the largest leaps possible and then being like, this was a mistake. And then having to like Oops. track back and then like restart and do baby steps just to, to protect ourselves. Cause it, it's so, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like I am way, my, my heart and my emotions are just more raw, you know? And that was not something that I was expecting going forward. And so when you're taking these huge leaps, then you you find yourself in the deep end really quickly and you're like, oh shoot, I wasn't prepared for that. I gotta back up. Listen, there's some comments that were just really terrible in my group when I was around 400, 415. Real terrible personal attacks for me personally being pro-adoption. And uh, my husband's like, uh, you have your rules, do the best you can. You're there to be supportive. And I'm so glad that I just kept going. And mm. What was great about that was other people had seen that I was being personally attacked for being pro-adoption and had stepped in and said, you know, um, we can all have space in this environment and we can be anti-adoption, but we don't have to be personally attacking somebody. Mm -hmm. So my point is you're going to, you're going to, if you're diving into social media and getting to know the CAD community, you will get some people that are not as nice. And I just hope they run into somebody that's more um, supportive and um, so that they're not turned off and leave. Because I have had people message me and it's actually quite sad. I've had parents message me. They have uh, create adoptees, children or b babies. And um, they kind of saw the rude comments and the rude environment and they said they're 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 not going to be in the groups anymore. So um, my point is, I I hope anyone that gets into the Korean community, Korean adoption community, that they run into supportive and kind people like you guys. Thanks. Yeah. Thank no. You. Like you said, there's it. It's just how you named your group. There's the good, the very good, the bad, and the ugly. And there is a lot of that on social media and uh, just everywhere. So. Uh, everyone should take their own level of comfort that there's going to be a, hopefully a silver lining to a lot of, uh, you know, these pages that you'll find the support of people among the, the not so nice ones and to not be, uh, dissuaded away from that. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's social media is social media. <laughs> it's pretty much, that's pretty much all it's you can It's a real... Say. 
cesspit of gold nuggets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's perfectly that's sad. Way. Yeah, that is. But thank you, Gina. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, yeah, let's let's have some food now. All right, we will uh, get on a quick break, and we'll be right back with some fun stuff. We're going to jump into mystery box number four. I will preface by saying we kind of already know. Yeah, what it's not it really is. a mystery. It's not so much a mystery. But, but why? Why isn't it a mystery? Well, we got a because show first, today, we got a show, then tell. Well, today that we're releasing this will be November 11th, 1111. And what does 1111 look like? Pepero. And a bunch of sticks. A couple of sticks. <laughs> Oh, good. Sticks. And and Jen has got described. a different flavor. So, Ooh, what oh, flavor nice. do you have? That looks good. Uh, cocoa filled. Cocoa filled. Cocoa filled. That sounds great. Wow. Thanks. Of chocolate. Jerry gave us the OG. I think it's the original. It's, just chocolate. Is this the OG? It just it, has it, lime. It's friends. just chocolate. It's the plain. A lote, by the yeah, way. I almost, I, I almost got that one, but I went towards this one. I love chocolate. Yeah, yeah, I would have gone for that one too. That one looks. Tasty. But yeah, I'm glad. I, I know there's a lot of different flavors of these. Uh, for those Lots. who might not really see these or whatever, I mean, if you've seen the Japanese version, which is Pocky. Um, but yeah, they're just little chocolate-covered biscuit sticks. So I have the, uh, as we're opening these and we were starting to dig in, I have the Wikipedia page for Apero mm. Day pulled up. Mm. <clears throat> so educators, close your ears. We're reading from Wikipedia. <clears throat> Get over it. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Um, so this is what it says. First, this is a little bit of history. Papero Day is held annually on November 11th and is, an ob- er, and is in observance in South Korea, similar to Valentine's Day. It involves Ooh. the gifting or exchange of papero snacks, a line of chocolate dip cookie sticks, with the intention of displaying affection for friends and loved ones. So... Technically, Jerry has gifted us these. Ooh, uh, Jerry, so flirty. Jerry's my Valentine. Wow. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, our producer Jerry, for showing us such affection. Yes. From the John C. Show to Jerry. Mm. <laughs> not to get so specific, but well, not we to love not to already comment, but I, I like the packaging of once you open it a lot Ooh, better I than got uh, my box open it feels like hockey. Valentine's Day. What yeah, is your well, does your thing come in like a, a nice uh, package there, Jenna? Yeah. Oh, yeah, nice. nice. I like the matte foil or whatever uh-huh. that is. Uh, that's that's like that much too. better that's than good. the Pocky, which is just a white bag. I also like that. So this is wild. Uh, the box of this, the product description comes in English, Russian, Ara- wait, Arabic, mm. Taiwanese, and Vietnamese. Wow. Yeah. Oh. So that's a whole lot of Interesting. things. So I'm going to assume that that info. means that they're very popular. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Have you had these, Jenna? Uh, no, this is the first time. Okay, perfect. Right. This is our first time. Jerry, Jerry doesn't love us that much. Why? They're These old. are expired. <laughs> expired. Jerry won in August. Yeah, August twelfth. I get sick. Jerry, Jerry. Actually, I'm not gonna throw that down. I feel like that's a good way to not get whatever. Yeah, Jerry, sponsored by Lotte. Love it. We're gonna have the a makers talk. of Papero sticks. If one of Ooh, us this gets is sick. Very chocolatey though. <laughs> Looks like one of those really thin French cigarettes. I feel like I need one of those things to put. Oh, in. like a like a nineteen twenties. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ah, see. Oh, I got <laughs> my Paris you got here, here, chocolate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what has happened to our food portion where we're now devolving into accents at least once? Yeah, I don't know. Hey, it makes us so much better. Of, um, Come on. <laughs> April Ludgate playing her character. 
Oh yeah, Janet Snakehole. Oh yeah, yeah, Janet Snakehole. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, so Janet, yours? yeah, what's your tracker look like? I'm curious to see because it's filled. Uh, right? Mine isn't as fancy as the what I thought it was gonna be. It's a little plain. I don't know if you're able okay, to yeah. see. It's not coated. Yeah, if you oh, bite into it, it's more like a pretzel it, stick. It's very chocolatey when you bite into it. It's actually quite mm, yes. delicious. Yes, it looks like those uh like cocoa wafery things that have the chocolate shot that like you put in like a, a thing of hot chocolate you know what i'm saying mm. you know what i'm talking about i don't even know what they're called no oh my gosh anyways they look like the perfect complement to a hot cocoa would you agree with that okay. jenna yes or a cafe mocha mm. mm-hmm. mm. that would be good. so go with the filled ones. coffee now yeah. yeah if you want more chocolate the filled ones i think i'd actually maybe it's uh, just a reverse of the regular stick it's just taking the coating and widening the stick part and putting the coating inside of it. And I think I might like that better. Is the stick like wafery? No, no. It's like a... It's like a biscuit like a, or pretzel. Oh, yeah, it looks like a pretzel. Like a, okay. a soft pretzel. Yeah. Mm. I would, that's what okay. I would compare mine to as well. Yeah. Um, and I love it's good. chocolate, though. You can't go wrong with... Chocolate on a stick. <laughs> you can't beat chocolate on a mm-hmm. stick. However, I really want to compare this to a Pocky, like uh, eat them next to each other. But I, I feel like this is, you know, because I've had Pocky more mm-hmm. so, I feel it's just as good. I feel like it's almost exactly the same. So mm-hmm. I know somebody's going to like write us going, no, they're not the same. Papara is yeah. so much better. Come on the show and fight us. Yeah. Well, so I will say I got to read this because it's on the Wikipedia page. So it's most likely true. There is a controversy section on the Wikipedia Ooh, page. Papero is strikingly similar to the Japanese snack Pocky, <laughs> which is manufactured by the Japanese co- or confectionery company Glico, uh, Glico since 1966. <laughs> hmm. Papero has been out since 1983. Uh-oh. So, Uh-oh. Nathan, you might, I, I think that you're hitting it on the head there that uh, we might get some people calling in about that. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to say we're aware of the controversy uh our our listeners and and viewers and please don't yell at us and which one came um, first uh, yeah. okay try pocky at some point this has the most satisfying snap i'm just gonna it mm, is yeah like that's that's perfect i love that crispy just prop uh it's real, real and real props to lote you're eating an expired one and it's still snappy <laughs> That's, that's a great true. Point. That's, that's a, a really great good point. So right there alone, that actually you know? is upping the rating. Yeah, for me that's, already that's as the, I formulate the rating. Good job head. for surpassing your your freshness. <laughs> Let's jump into the rating. Um, out of eleven for Pepero Day. Ooh, good. How many Pepero sticks do you give this Pepero stick? <laughs> out of that's, eleven. Who are, uh, who are you asking? Let's jump in with Patrick. I wasn't even ready. Um, oh, no. Still He's still eating. All right. So my inclination is to give it a five or 11, not a five and 11, because these are really good. I'm also, if my, if we ever have my, uh, if we ever talk to my adoptive mom at any point, she will tell you that I hated chocolate as a child. Really? Apparently. What? I love chocolate now. I eat too much chocolate. It's way too much. <laughs> it's not good. I'm doing an intermittent fasting diet right now that I'm breaking to be on the show because oh, I love chocolate you. so much. Thank you for continuing to produce content for your own show. <laughs> but this is amazing. <laughs> One, I like everything that we talked about really sets mm-hmm. it off for me. The packaging, great. I mean, I just love the chocolate. And then the snap. Is, is so satisfying. And then what Nathan said, the fact that these are expired and still snapping, <laughs> shouts to you, Lote. So Patrick gives this an 11. 11 out of 11. Nice. Wow. All right, Jenna, what about you? 
I also give it 11 out of 11. Ooh. Yeah. Delicious. Are you going to buy more now for, for your kids too? When they, well, actually, yes, you said definitely. they're in college. They'll come home and yes. grab them. Well, college kids well, love snacks too, sure. okay? Yeah. So. Especially well, at home. One, one graduated already from college, but he mm. would still, he'll probably eat the rest of my package when he comes for lunch today. <laughs> my kids eat the the pocky that we have here at the house so they eat these all the time if i bring mm-hmm. these down i'm guaranteed that the, this bag will be gone as well so <laughs> i'm gonna have to eat as many as i can right now before i get home, down there but yeah i'm gonna say 11 out of 11 too there's no i mean i it's it's tasty you can't go wrong with these i want to try the other flavors that's just you know there's always there's always mm-hmm. some good variety i always like a little bit more uh, of the other ones like the strawberry or the mint or the um, coffee one uh, that you know and that's the ones that Pocky makes so I can only assume that Pepero makes some similar flavors mm-hmm. uh, I'm gonna round it out a perfect 11 out of 11 mm-hmm. I like Patrick I love this particular part of the packaging like mm-hmm. the box I was like oh that's really cute and then I opened it up and I saw this very I'm gonna say yeah. seductive it's red a, yeah bag. it is the it's red. a nice like, bag it like, is yeah. It is romantic. Valentine's Day. Yeah, like honestly, yeah. if I saw a Valentine's candy that was packaged this well, I would just be like, I, my work here is done. Uh, so, <laughs> yep. I don't need a card, no flowers. Whoever made, yeah, this is amazing. Um, <laughs> I love that there are so many languages on these Pepero sticks box. Uh, also, just because I like this, I like that one serving size is a whole package, so you just know because like you're gonna eat the whole thing, so you can uh, you just know what you're getting into there. Um, the snap is perfect and always pleasing to me. Um, and I feel like I've eaten so many of them and I'm only like halfway through. So, <laughs> you know what? 12 out of 11. That's how I feel. Oh, about this. Wow. And I, I don't oh. even love sweets that much. And this is just like, Dang. you can't so give it 12. Good. It's 11, 11. You can't give it until tomorrow. Is that our first across the board? Perfect score. Perfect score. Perfect score. Yeah. Good job. I feel like we need a sound Jenna effect. Now she is going to be. Known in an episode as the Perfect Elevens. There you go. Oh, there you go. That's perfect the episode score. title, the Perfect Elevens. <laughs> mm-hmm. But thank um, you. Before we go, I just want to. Nathan's mentioned it a couple times that there are many flavors mm-hmm. of this, and we got. I got a little list here. Uh, I just want to read off some that I find interesting. There's a melon flavor of this, um, Jenna. The kind that you have is called. I think it's called Nude. It's called uh, mm. it's called Nude? chocolate in the center with a biscuit coating on the outside. Oh. Chocolate in the center with a with a biscuit coating on the outside. Um, we have mint choco. There's a cherry double dip, a Ooh. blueberry yogurt, and then my favorite, which I have to try, the nude cheddar cheese. Ooh, interesting. I think I think that one really stuck out to me. Mm. Uh, they got a latte, tira, tiramisu cheese. Um, Mike Nathan said they got a ton of flavors. Yeah. So yeah. Listeners, get out to the store, get all of these flavors, and let us know what they taste like. <laughs> yeah, tell us what your yes. favorite is. But, and then watch episode 13 of our podcast with Jenna Lee here. So uh, thank you again. Where is everyone able to find you online? Um, I am with the Adoption Love, the very good, bad, and ugly of, of adoption. It's a group page, a group and a page. Great, on Facebook, yeah. And, of course, you can find us at the John Cheese Show on all major platforms and uh, email Show at justlikemedia.com. Still waiting on my emails to, yeah, to come in for my Send us an email. Our numerous inbox, requests Our for inbox emails. is lonely. Patrick is very lonely, and so he just needs to get some emails. 
just for the keep John refreshing the inbox. <laughs> and there's nothing coming in, so I'm very upset. He's lying. We have so many emails coming in. Just it's not true. That's not also <laughs> or is it guys. It's gotta work it up. <laughs> well, this is a great way to end this segment yep, by just you, multiple lies. You so. can find me uh on the internet on all the places that I want to be found at KJ Relke. You can find me at Patrick in the World on Instagram and on Facebook at my regular name. And I am Nowak Photo on Instagram and Nathan Nowak everywhere else. Wait, did you just say Nowak? Sorry, Nowak. No. <laughs> I was like, I thought, I was you, just I thought you, you said that, that your last name was Nowak, and then you're like, and I'm Nathan Nowak everywhere else. <laughs> That's a whole other story for a whole other episode. Perfect. Uh, we, we can get well, into that one. We yeah. will get into it next time. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.